Take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, if you would, tonight. Don't let this scare you, but we're going to try to do the whole thing. Biblical theology is taking a theme and running it through the entire book that you're working in. And we're going to do that tonight as much as we can. So this is going to be a big, very long, fast, intense Bible study in, with some time, I hope, for application. But the application is pretty strong even as you read things and think about the concepts. I, I hope there will be a little bit of both. You're going to find tonight a number of things that not everybody who sees the same thing sees the same thing. And uh, you're going to see that all through John's gospel, especially when it comes to seeing Jesus. You'll be amazed how people can stand in front of Jesus, two different groups, and one see him do this and the other group sees him do it and come to different conclusions completely. And to get your mind thinking about that, we're going to see some optical illusions on the screen. And you might have seen these before, but think about the first thing that comes to your mind when you see, what do you see? How many saw duck? How many saw rabbit? Yeah, see, you're seeing the same thing, but you're seeing something different. What's the next one? How many see a young woman? How many see an old woman? Do you see the old woman yet? No. Sarah, a little longer. You see it now? See the young? The, see the lady's chin bone is the nose? Yeah, you see that now? Yeah. See, you can see the same thing and not see the same thing, right? Next one. What, how many of you see two faces? How many of you see more like a chalice or a candle holder or something? You see that? Yep. Last one. A horse or a frog? How many saw a ho- you see a horse? How many see the frog? How many see both now? All right. Optical illusions. Okay, let me tell you this. When in the Gospel of John, there are no optical illusions, but there is the reality that's the same, and that is you can see Jesus, but not really see Jesus. Let me give you one of my favorite quotes. I would encourage you, not because he's orthodox in every way, because he's not or wasn't, but read everything that you can get from C.S. Lewis. I have, they, they come out with a nice book set a year or two ago. It's paperback. It's in a box. There's like eight of his main books are in there. You can get it for a very reasonable set, um, a price, I should say. But in one of his books, he writes this, one of my favorites. He says, listen carefully. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You hear what he's saying? I believe in Christianity not because I can just see it to be true, but because by it, I see everything else. So I'm going to take that and adapt it tonight and say this. I believe in Jesus as I believe the Son is risen, not only because I see him in Scripture, but because by him, I see everything else. And let me tell you, in John's Gospel... When people who have never really seen Jesus for who he is, actually, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, come to really see him, it changes everything. 
because now they begin to see everything by him and his life. Now, let me tell you this. That is and should be, ready? That should be the experience of every child of God without exception. That when you become a Christian, you get a new set of eyes. Not just physical eyes, you get spiritual eyes. Now, tonight I want to show you some of these things, most likely because of the amount of information. It's probably going to take me another Wednesday night. But if case I don't, I'm going to give you a lot of information that if you're taking notes, I suggest that you do, or get to listen to the video or audio again to get some of the information. But I want to give you the ability to do some study on your own because I've been studying this for weeks. Imagine that and giving it to you in one 30-minute session is not easy, all right? So I'm going to boil it down to every pastor should have a big idea. Your whole sermon in one sentence, that's what you're supposed to start with. Mine is this. How you see Jesus will determine how you see everything else. Ready? How you see Jesus will determine how you see everything else. Um, Someone has said, and, and this is more of a idiom that's more popular over many years, we don't just see things as they are, we see things as we are. We don't see things just as they are. In other words, just how they appear to be. We see things as we are. In other words, part of you and who you are makes you see things a certain way. And that's why you look at this and that's how you see circumstances and situations. And see, tonight, didn't you hear everybody? I love listening because I did it on purpose. You see how people talk about their trials and their sufferings and all the difficulties and the struggles we have. You know why? Because you're seeing them differently. Because you're seeing them differently because you know Jesus because it's who you are. You're going to see it through your life and how you were brought up and how things were. But most of all, hopefully as a Christian, you're going to see it through Jesus and who he is. So let me give it to you. Ready? Do like this and limber up your fingers a little bit. Okay, good. All right. Here we go. John's gospel starts and ends. And let me start. Two major headings in our sermon tonight would be this. If we were going to block it off. Major seeing stories. Major seeing stories. And then there are minor seeing stories that keep it all flowing throughout. I'm going to show you that. The major seeing stories are chapter 1, 9, 19, and 20. So basically beginning, middle, end. Major seeing stories that have blocks of using the different, four different verbs for seeing uh, at least 10 times or more. Then there are minor seeing stories in chapter 3, 4, 6, 8, 11, 12, 14, 16. And now you know why it's a lot of information and we won't get through it all. So in between, really, the big seeing stories or major ones, the minor ones keep the theme running all throughout and tie all the stories together until you get a beginning and the end, which I like to call an inclusio or bookends because that's the framework of how the whole book works. And you could almost say that John wrote his book with this theme in mind, although others would debate that, and and surely there are other ways to look at it. Um, Chapter 1 has a story. If you'll turn there, I'm going to give you an idea of how to look at them, and we'll try to focus on a couple of them. We couldn't do them all, certainly, tonight. 
you can see this, that there is a paradigm to weave everything through at the very beginning of what John's prologue is, which is 1 through chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. At the end of 18, here's what it says. No one has, circle it, no one has seen God at any time. Now, that is going to theme run all the way through John's gospel. 527, he says, nor have any, have you seen his form? 646, you have not seen the Father. 14, 7 through 9, Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't know me? If you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Right? So, and, and on and on it goes. You, no one has ever seen God in his essence or his form. No one. And the idea from the very beginning of the book is, but now you will. Now you're going to see God for the first time. And you know how John's going to tell you? Every time you look at Jesus, you will see God. Now in the Old Testament, we know this. If you looked at God and many people had close glimpses of him in different ways and they feared for their lives and thought they were going to be struck dead because everybody in the Old Testament knows out of God's separate holiness that you can't see God and live. Moses had to be hide behind the hinder parts of God. And you know all those stories. And John starts off with a very familiar Hebraic understanding that nobody has seen God. But the idea is from hen on out throughout all of John's gospel, you will now see him. Or maybe not. And so he's going to set up stories. He's going to show you things about what is true about some, why? Here's the question, right? Why is it that someone sees Jesus and some people don't see him? They have the same circumstances brought up in the same home. They go to the same church. They know the same truths. They understand the Bible. Why is it that some people see him and it changes their life and other people see him and it doesn't do a thing? You ever been frustrated witnessing someone and you're like, you can't see this? I mean, it was awesome when... Uh, Ed Koenig got saved and John Mark got saved. But you're wondering like, wow, what happened all the rest of the time? How come you haven't seen it? Here's what we know. God is sovereign in seeing, isn't he? He's, he, he's absolutely sovereign. So in our first story, look at chapter 1, verse 29. Example, ready? The next J circle, I'm going to go right through it. I'm not New King James because I, I needed to do my old Bible to use this tonight. The next day, John saw Jesus. Okay, circle it, because he's seeing him coming physically. But notice this, he's going to tell you that when he knew Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he really didn't know him before. Not for who he really was. Now watch, I'm going to put it together, ready? Remember the monologue, it's setting the, the, the course and paradigm for everything. Notice what happens in the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, the world was made through him. Here it is, and the world did not know him. And we're going to find out, either tonight or next week, why didn't they know him? Because they can't see him for who he is. So here we're going to have to find it. If you see him, you know him. And when you know him, you can see him. Later, John's going to call this being born again. Remember Nicodemus? John 3, 3. Nicodemus, unless you are born again, wait, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, later on in verses 5 and 7, he says, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So we learn that parallelism means this. 
Seeing is entering. Seeing is believing. And we're going to see believing is seeing. It works both ways. Now watch what John the baptizer does. John 1.29. He sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, really? Look, vision word, see word. Behold, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows who he is when he sees him. It says, but watch, let me set it for you, 26, 126. John answered, said, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you, you whom you do not know. Just like chapter 1, verse 10, here's a group of people who do not know. They, he came into the world, they see him, but they don't know him. Why? Because they really can't see him. But John says, I can see him, so let me tell you what you should see, but you can't. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 33. And I did not know him. See that again, verse 33? Verse 31, I did not know him. He wants to tell you, I didn't know him either at first. I didn't know him, but the more I heard him, and the more I was with him, I came to be able to see him for who he is. Verse 30, John bore witness saying, See, watch, I saw the Spirit, I saw it, see it? Descending from heaven like a dove and remaining on him. It took revelation, it took God opening, it took the work of the Holy Spirit for John's eyes to be open to be able to see and say those things about, but he couldn't always do that. Notice verse 36. And looking at Jesus... This is little bookends. Looking at Jesus, he said, again, behold, the Lamb of God. But looking at him, he's he's not just seeing him physically. He's saying, look, see him. See him for who he really is. Verse number 39, twice. He said to them, come and see. And they came and saw. There they both are. They came and saw Jesus, but they don't know who he is yet. They've come and they see him. But they only see him with physical eyes. Verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Here it is again, second time, Come and see. Verse 47. Jesus said to Nathanael with him, And said, Behold, See, there it is again, looking. Behold, the Israelite, Indeed, in whom is no guile. Now, what you're learning here is, Listen, He can't see Jesus yet, but what? Yeah, Sandy's right. Jesus can see him. See, he can see you. And he is working in you so that you can see him. Keep going. Verse 48. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he identifies him. Verse 50. Because I said to you, watch, circle it, I saw you. You believe? Ready? You shall see greater things than that. And he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see. Now this is, you can't see this unless God revealed. This is a supernatural spiritual seeing. And what are you going to see? You're going to see me, Nathaniel, for who I really am. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. I'm Jacob's ladder. You're going to find out. John the baptizer told you I'm the Lamb of God. You're going to see this revelation. You're going to understand I'm the one between heaven and earth. The Lamb of God, the one who dies, that's how you get from earth to heaven. You're going to see that. And throughout the book... 
you're going to find that there are numerous times where God says, you can't see me, but you're going to see me. And once you learn to see me, everything will change. Chapter 3, if you'll turn there. Now, watch, because some of this is scary. John 3 says, verse 2, same thing Nathaniel said. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. Now, that's a high praise, which means he thinks he's some really good teacher, most likely a prophet, but he doesn't know him who he is. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. But no one can do these signs. You know what that means? He has seen Jesus do something miraculous. If you watch The Chosen, they kind of depict that. Jesus is what Nicodemus watches him do a miracle and he sees him. See, but he has seen that, but he doesn't see him yet. See, you could come to church and you could see God work in everybody's life and you could see God answer prayers and you could see other people's lives change and you could see all kinds of things and you still haven't seen. In fact, what you're going to find is the pattern is sometimes the more religious you are and the more you think you're devoted to God, the more blind you really are. Then he says in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. Verse 3 says, you cannot see the kingdom. You don't have eyes to see it. Now I'm going to fast forward. Ready? If you're taking notes. You can't see the kingdom of God. John's gospel, more than any other other than Matthew, is filled with king and kingdom kind of thought. Jesus is the king. It says it on his cross. It says it beforehand. Pilate in John 18 and 19 has a discussion about, are you really a king? What kind of king are you? And what you find out is Pilate is seeing Jesus standing right, imagine, standing right in front of you, talking to Jesus and sees him and talks to him like very few ever got a chance. He was totally blind. And it never changed. He could not see Jesus for who he really was because his eyes were never open. He saw him. But he never saw him. John chapter 4 has a smaller, minor story. Remember he told the disciples after the woman of the well, and she goes and gets, and the whole town comes up. And in 435, what does he tell them to do? Lift up your eyes and what? See and look at. These harvest of people. Why? Because they don't see Samaritans that way. Application. Ready? Let me throw one in here. Ready? Applications. When you see Jesus for who he is, you'll start to see people as he thinks they are. Because they didn't see Samaritans. Avoid them. Jesus, what in the world? We come back and you're talking to this woman by yourself. You touched her cup and drank from it. Are you out of your mind? See, but now they're gonna, Jesus says, lift up. Watch these people. Look at all these people come to me. This is a harvest. See, you don't see that way. But if you know me and follow me, you will. You'll start to see people. So how would I know, Pastor Walker, if I really see Jesus? See, it'll change your view of how you see him, how you see your circumstances, how you see people, and particularly lost people who are so far away, far away from what you're used to or what you're comfortable with. Chapter 5, 37. Chapter 6, 46. 6, 62. 
8, 38, and 39, all are micro-passages, mini-stories about things that people need to see and see differently. Major story, write it down, chapter 9. A number of times, I want to say 13, but I could be wrong. I'm not looking at that number anyway. But numerous times in this text in chapter 9, all the way from beginning to end, he is called born blind, a blind man. He cannot see over and over again. John wants you to realize this guy cannot see anything at all. He can't see Jesus for who he is. He can't see Jesus physically or anything else for that matter. But the Bible says that Jesus rubs in his eyes and tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he goes down there and he washes and, he, and it says in verse 7, he comes back seeing. <coughs> He's been changed. He's been given a new life. Now his neighbors, verse 8, had seen him before. See it? Circle it. Verse 11 and verse 16. And verse 18 twice. The one who had received his sight. Verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 21. Now he sees, it says. Verse 25. The guy himself says, now I see. Verse 37. You have seen him. Verse 39. Those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Verse 41, he ends with it. But now we say, you say we see, but yet you remain blind. The whole story is about what happens in someone's life when Jesus opens their eyes to who he is. Now, what does it look like? Well, this guy, believe it or not, has been blind since he's been born. And that has to be decades. He finally gets to see, and the first thing he does is tick everybody who's religious off. And so he says to them, they keep asking over and over again, tell me the story. What did he do? How did he do it? And eventually he says, do you keep asking me because you want to be his disciple too? Oh, and then they're infuriated. He's mocking them. Why? He sees Jesus. It's changed his whole idea about how he handles people like that and what he should say. And they throw him out of the temple. They throw him out. Now, you have to understand, it wasn't like you can't come to church anymore. Throwing you out of the temple meant you were socially ostracized. If you were not part of the temple, they treated you like you had a disease. People wouldn't sell things to you. They wouldn't be nice to you. It was tough to even get by and make a living and have enough to eat. So when you get cast out, it's no small thing. But he sees it differently. Why? Because he really sees Jesus. And Jesus, he says, Lord... He goes, if you knew Christ, he goes, who is it? He goes, it's me. I'm talking to you. And it, sa it says he fell down and worshipped him and believed. See, it changes him. It changes everything in his life. Chapter 11. Turn over this to this one. Framework of this little chapter is verse 4 and verse 40. It says... Jesus tells his disciples, this isn't a sickness unto death, but he did die. So how is it not? He's going to tell you. You won't be able to know and see that truth unless you can see other things. This is not a sickness unto death, but the guy dies. So what is he saying? 
but for the glory of God. That's what this story is for. That the man of God, I'm sorry, but the son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus gets there, you know it, four days late. Mary and Martha are pretty upset. It's Jesus, so they curtail it. But both of them at different times come to him and say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Different ways, different times. Jesus responds differently to each one of them because they're different. He knows how to handle people and what they really need. And they come to the tomb. Watch. Ready? Big application. They come to the tomb, and he says, take away the stone. And I think it is Martha. Maybe it was Mary. I'm not looking on the things. It is Martha. Says to him, Lord. He he stinks. They would wrap. Now listen, if you had money, you would wrap someone in a cloth from head to toe. And then you would put spices on there. And so that... The first three days, you go to the tomb and you weep. You, after that, you're done because the scent wears off and the corruption begins. And it's, it was society, it was societally, it was an embarrassment to your family. If you brought anyone to the tomb and there was a bad odor, nobody did that. It was totally culturally unacceptable. Fourth day, everybody has stopped going up there. That's why they have to walk back up there. Because nobody's going anymore. Everybody knows what's going on, and it isn't good. Jesus doesn't care. He goes up there and tells them to roll back the stone. And now, so not only was he late and he died, but now he's asking embarrassment and shame to come on their family to do something nobody would ever in their right mind dream of doing, roll the stone away so the smell can be even more pronounced. It would have been an embarrassment to them. See, because all they can see is what they normally can see, that there's death and, there's, and they can smell it. But Jesus says, listen, I know you can see this, and more than anything, I know you can smell it, but I want you to see something different. And so he says it to them. You remember in verse 4? This is not for death. This is for the glory of God. And so when Martha tells him about the smell and it stinks and you can't do this, here's what he says to her. Look at it. Jesus said to her, and he's recalling what he already said to her somewhere that we don't have recorded. But this whole thing with her has, see, see I want to open your eyes to who I am, Martha. Because you said earlier I am the resurrection. I told you, I'm the resurrection and the life. I want you to see it. I want you to see what it means. And so he says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, watch how they go together, if you believed, you would see the glory of God in all your trials, in all of your struggles, in all your fiery furnaces, and all of your tears, and sorrow, and weeping, Jesus implores us to see it differently. To see him. To see him for who he is. And what that will mean now or later. And Martha would be completely different if she could see Jesus. Because when you see him, watch, you will see glory, not grief. Not that there isn't grief, but you see the circumstances. You don't see empty tombs. You don't be, you're not overcome with the smell. You're overcome with the sight 
that Jesus is here. It's a whole different way of looking at the most difficult, grievous, difficult times of your life. Chapter 11 in verse 34, come and see. If you believe, you see the glory of God. Now watch. Here's an example of what I was trying to tell you before. Look at verse 45 and the after story. Chapter 11, verse 45. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary, watch, had, circle it, and seen the things Jesus did. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, some people saw it that were standing there, and they believed in him. Seeing is believing. But there are some, it says in 46, 46 some that went away and the, told, to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. They had the same thing. They rehearsed the same words, saw the same things. They didn't see, oh, I want to believe in this and change my life. I'm going to go tell the religious leaders so that they can do what should be done. Stop all of this. See, that's what it is. So when we pray for lost people, when people come to our church, and we're giving the gospel pretty much every Sunday until Christmas. So when we pray for people, we're praying for people who probably have come to church many times, sat in these pews, some of them the first time, but they've gone to church otherwise, maybe all their life. But they can't see any spiritual reality whatsoever. Zero. And so I beg you to get on your hands and knees, names or no names, pray for them. Pray for them that as the Spirit of God works through the Word of God on these Sunday mornings that people's eyes would be open because without His supernatural intervention, it can never, never happen. Chapter 14, small micro story, and we're done. And one more thing. 14.7, if you had known me, you had have known my father. Verse 7, and from now on you know him, watch, and have seen him. And that's where Philip says, Lord, show us the father and it's sufficient for us. Jesus says, have I been so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. And so if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. Because they're one and the same. But if you haven't seen him, in fact, go back sometime and look at John 8. <laughs> Jesus says, you do your father the things your father's done that you've seen. And that's the devil. So let me tell you this. Everybody does right, what they see. What you see is who you are. That's on the screen. So if you see the devil and you do what he says, see, it affects you. If you see him and your life is focused on him, even if it's not intentional, then you'll do that. But if you live a different way because you see Jesus, you'll do that. So let me show you the last story in this book. You can read 19 and see how 19 uses the word see all throughout it and how Pilate can't see. But then you come to the last chapter, which bookends the whole book. Again, he wants to show you one more time how important this theme is. And so he begins in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and it was still dark, and she saw the stone had been taken away. So there's the first thing. She sees the stone. Verse 5, it says, the other, she goes back and tells Peter and John and the disciples. They run. Peter came to the tomb first, 
And stooping in, verse 5, looking in, saw the linen cloths. So they see the facts of what the stone is gone. The linen cloths are there. Those are all things they see, verse 6. Simon Peter came following him, went in the tomb. He saw the stuff laying there. John sees it, the empty tomb, stone rolled, linen cloths there. They all see in the same thing. And verse 8 says, something supernatural. Then the other disciples who came to the tomb first, the other disciple, which would be John, went in also, and he saw and believed. Now see, he has eyes. He, has eyes. he saw the same open tomb, linen cloths laying there, no one around, but he believes. He believes. Verse 12 she, now Mary, has another seeing of it. She saw two angels. And she begins to see, and she's going to see Jesus, verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. Before she had saw him, remember that? She didn't know who he was. Thought he was the gardener. And did not know it was Jesus. Right? Verse 18, though, says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. So she gets to understand, but she doesn't see him for who he is, until he calls her name. His word activates her spiritual sight. Let's keep going. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. See, but Thomas won't believe it. They've all had revelations from Jesus and seen him afterwards, but he hasn't. And he says, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingerprint in the nails and my hand into the side, I will not believe. Down in verse 27, it reads, He said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not believing, do not be unbelieving, but believe. He looks at him and says, my Lord and my God. And Thomas, here's the message. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. 1 Peter 1.8, Having not seen him, you love him. Not seen him here, here. See, Christmas, we're going to see a lot of Jesus. Or will we? <laughs> will you see him this year in Christmas? No, I mean, with your spiritual eyes. Will you see how important he is, who he is, Will your Christmas be different because you see him for who he is? Will it change and has it changed? Is it changing everything in you? Will it change how you view your circumstances no matter what happens this Christmas? Will it change how you view people and lost people and circumstances and your responsibilities and what matters most in your calendar and your priorities? If so, if not, why not? Let me tell you this, every day... Every day you get in this book so that you can see him again. And we see him. And in seeing him, we'll be like him. And ultimately, and we didn't even look at 1 John because he says all the same things about seeing in his epistles. But one day, John says in his epistle, for one day we shall see him and be like him because we shall what? See him as he is Seeing is a way of transforming. That's what ought to be true for all of us 
who've had our eyes opened, the eyes of our heart. Let's pray.